0: I'm Collier Landry.
1: And I'm Brenda Fisher.
0: And this is Moving Past Murder. So, uh, Brenda. Yes. As you know, I have a stalker.
1: Yes, I do know that.
0: A very persistent one. Yes. Going on for a couple of years. I mentioned the the stalker in previous episodes, and so a few people wrote to me and said, you have a stalker? I must hear more. (laughs) Uh, One of my really good friends, Barbara Ann, she lives up in Washington State. She's a wonderful human and very talented cake maker baker she does these cakes that are just insane her company's called cake rapsy it's amazing yeah, she does a wonderful job nice been on like food network and halloween wars and all these like yeah she's like a sugar artist <laughs> that's insane. a talent it's a real time ta- it's it's like next level stuff anyways so barbara Ann says to me you have a stalker i must hear more and so uh yeah i'm going to talk more about that i was supposed to call her but i figured you know what might as well tell everyone right yeah let's let's go through this so i want to check really fast i did wanted to see because i've blocked her on all forms of communication right right uh but i wanted to see if i could find another like one that slipped through the cracks because one slipped through the cracks a couple months ago and that's the one i want to talk about okay so uh let's get to it shall we let's do it all right
1: the testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Maureen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania.
0: I did not kill Maureen never harmed her at all. The 12-year-old son of accused murderer, Mansfield Dr. John Boyle, finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. Did the jury in this case find the defendant guilty? I confront my incarcerated father in prison. And finally, I'm gonna have that moment where I can ask this man, "Why, Dad? Why did you do this?" Everyone knows it's premeditated. What I want to know is why. Collier, well, I have told you the truth. This is a psychopath. He's believing it while he's saying, "Do you think you're a sociopath?" No, no, no. Okay. So Brenda, the stalker. Okay. And so. I'll give a quick little backstory. So this girl approached me a few years ago. She had seen a murder in Mansfield and I want to leave out, I'll I'll leave out some of the details just because, but she was a victim of a tragic school shooting in another state and had wanted to do a documentary on it and was doing all these really good things. And she was going to, yes, she wanted to do this, do this, you know, forgiveness, seminar and have me speak at it and was really moved by the documentary and everything seemed very legitimate and then you know, she wanted to make this documentary and I said oh, great I'd love to do that I found it fascinating I did some research I was like oh okay and then my girlfriend at the time who was a filmmaker as well got involved because she's like well you need to get us both work because that's how she was and so I involved her and then they didn't get along and then she said oh this girl just has a crush on you she just wants to do this you know, documentary mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, so I abandoned the sort of idea of it and, and did talk to her because, you know, it just was creating friction in my relationship. And when you're in a relationship with someone, you don't want to create friction. And when someone's also very controlling, like my ex girlfriend was, you right. also don't want to do that. So, anyways, that said, <clears throat> the girl ended re- up reaching out to me a few months later. I was open to it. I was looking to leave my relationship or at least separate some space. And I thought, okay, well, if I could do this. This would be really cool because I'm still interested in the subject. Mm-hmm. I just don't want the girlfriend to be involved. I'd rather just go do it. And You know, it wasn't about money. I was like, Oh, I'll split the money with her. I just don't, I just don't want to involved because she just creates drama. Right. right. So cause I thought, Oh, there's a chance that this is legitimate. Then I broke up with the girlfriend and I became close to, to this girl. We were talking a lot and things like that. Now this girl lives in a, on the other side of the country and that was it we just communicated and she was talking to me at that time, but there was something always a little off and she would always claim that she was terminally ill and things of that nature. I wanted to still do the project. I thought it was very interesting material and I thought she was legitimate because I don't go around trying to not be legitimate. Right. Anyways, uh, I was going through this terrible breakup with the ex and her and I would, were talking a lot. And she's like, Oh, I feel bad because you, you guys broke up because of me. And I was like, no, it's not really that there was a lot of issues. And, doesn't matter and while the ex was making craziness this girl who she had claimed that she was terminally ill and all these things and that's why she was in a hurry to make this documentary it, it apparently once i came out of my haze it apparently wasn't true or didn't seem like it was true like things just didn't add up and i was like okay this is super weird and then she's when i sort of you know and it, she'd like had talked to my parents she found their number and or contacted on Facebook and said, oh, I'm really, Collier's a really important person in my life. Like all this, like overstepped all these boundaries. Right. And I probably shouldn't have been talking to her at that time because I was not in a good space. But I was like still interested in doing this documentary. And anyways, it. I I was just like, I can't deal with this because she just sort of completely violated all boundaries and it just got super duper weird. Mm -hmm. Hence contact my parents, thing like that. After I was already going through it, with the ex who was creating chaos for me. Right. So I stopped talking to her and then I would, you know, I blocked her and then she would send me these messages saying how I, you know, uh, completely abandoned her and, and, you know, and, and had all these people in my life that I discarded like her, uh, I discarded her and her feelings. And, but it started off it, first, it was, it, it started off saying that literally like after I said, I can't work with you because it, it just, cause it just felt like, you know, bullshit, like there right. wasn't anything there. Literally a couple of days later, she said, Oh, I just sold my documentary concept to Netflix. I just got to deal with Netflix. And then, then a week later it was like, I'm going to be on Dr. Phil now because of this, I told him that I know you, but I'm not going to, I'm going to expose you for who you are to Dr. Phil. Cause I had been on Dr. Right, episode right. Of Dr. Phil, right? right? So she made all these things happen within a couple of days. Hmm. It's like these delusional things. And it was just like, so I would keep getting these messages over like a course of like a year or two, because this was like the end of 2019. So I would get these messages of just. Crazy, like okay, now I'm gonna sign a deal with this and get this documentary made, and you you're now a part of it. But I'm not gonna hold back on telling the truth about you. Like all this, just crazy, crazy stuff, right? So I had started posting things on my YouTube channel, and I, I'm gonna start posting all these episodes up. But I posted like my true crime story, if you will, a backstory so people know about me. Right. And I got a response from her, and it was, you know, I see that you've been through your trauma, but you're you you discard others for your own personal use who are the closest to you and all that, like just all this crazy stuff. Now, mind you, I have never met this person ever in my life. Right. So I don't know how to just, dis- how I was discarding this person out of my life other than I think you're crazy and I don't want you to have any part of your nonsense. Right. Uh, cause I was always dealing with my own, my own nonsense. And I was going through a really <laughs> rough breakup that was, you know, the girl was just trying to ruin me for everything that she could. And I seem to have that effect on women. Apparently. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, what, what, is wrong with,
0: what is wrong with just breaking up? Just being like, you know what? I'm done. Like I am done. I'm good. Yeah. And it, it's been real. It's been fun, but it has been real fun. But we're, let's just move on. Yeah. Some people just go on full on scorched earth. And I've always heard these horror stories from people. But I never thought, oh, it'll never happen to me because I'm not married. It doesn't matter. No, this was like a divorce. This was like even like settlement agreement. I'm keeping this. You're keeping this. But you're basically you're not keeping anything, Collier. I'm keeping all your money, all your stuff from the house, and that's it. And I'm the victim. It just was like the craziest. And I just at a certain point, you're just like, I can't even deal with this. And then creating chaos with people that she doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, so all this, all that to say this, a lot of crazy stuff was happening around this time. So I was getting it from all angles, right? Right. So over the last like year and a half, I would randomly get these messages from her. And then she started when I posted that video on, on, on YouTube a couple months ago, she commented. And I quickly, you know, reported it, deleted it. Okay, great. Then another thing I posted, you know, same comment. You know, you leave people behind that have been here for you. Like just what are you talking about? I don't even know you and yeah. you're, and by the way, you were terminally ill. You said you had six months to live and, and that was two years ago. Still here, and that yeah. was two years ago. Like it's a miracle. It's a mm-hmm. miracle. And it just, you know, and she had a son and oh, the son was in there. Like she played on all my heartstrings. Right. So right. she, you know, she said that she wanted to make this documentary originally because, she wanted to leave something for her son. Of course. I'm like, Oh, a mother and a son. Oh, I can totally relate and I'll help you any way I can because I'm just that guy.
1: But she was obviously manipulating you because she knew that that would pull at your heartstrings and that would get your attention.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Which is really insidious. When you think about it,
1: does she even have a son?
0: I heard him and I, and we did a couple of FaceTimes and I think I'd seen him. So yes, I believe she does, but I don't know. That is bizarre if it, that's the truth. It's totally it. bizarre. But, anyways, there's a point to this whole story. The point is so I delete these messages off of YouTube in January. Okay. And I'm filming a project in Las Vegas and it's like, I don't know, it's sad to be there at like seven in the morning, right? And I wake up and I'm actually at the location and I'm, I'm waiting for them to, the guy to get there to open up the location. It was a boxing gym. I was filming this thing for a boxer uh, okay. who's uh, become a friend. I check my email and for some reason an email got through from this person. And I was like, Oh my God. And (laughs) we're going to read that email right now. Now, granted, people already know a lot about me when they watch the documentary or or, I'm sorry, they know once they watch the documentary, they pretty much know like my whole life story. So it's very easy to like put stuff together. right? Right. Which is really weird because when you're talking to people, it's like, hi, You know everything about me and what's your name? Yeah. So, but that just comes with the territory and that's just how it is. So, and I embrace that. But anyways, I get this message and it's, you know, I'm going to put on the glasses again. But It's from this person and it says, subject, interesting, dot, dot, dot. And I thought you should know, bumper. Now, bumper is the nickname that my father calls me. And my mother called me growing up. Right. Not a lot of people know this because I don't go by it. And if you weren't in my life previous to the murder of my mother, you probably wouldn't know this. So, and it comes from, I grew up really quick before we moved to Ohio. I lived on a naval base in Dogger, Virginia, because my father was in the Navy. And the whole reason I got this nickname bumper was I would walk up to the airplanes and point to the nose cone of the airplane, which just holds the radar system in fighter planes. Right. And I would call it the bumper. So I oh. keep saying bumper, bumper, every time I saw the airplanes. Oh. So hence my mother and father called me bumper growing up. Interesting. Uh-huh. And my father continues to call me that when he sends me letters from prison. And talks I noticed yes, that. It's, uh, it's a whole thing. But all that to say this, you would not know that unless you spoke to my father. Right. So I read this and I'm like, oh God, oh Lord. And in this correspondence, She had taken an unprecedented step. Now, I got to give you credit. If you're going to get, if you're, after you get your YouTube comments deleted, if you're going to, you know, push the envelope on the stalkerness, Mm -hmm. fait accompli. (laughs) So in this message, I have a screenshot from correspondence that he, she had with my father. And as I'm looking at it right now, it says back, it says two of 25. Now when you, a lot of times in this, in the prison system in the United States to communicate with prisoners, you can use email and specifically you can use email through a app called JPEG, which you're familiar with. We talked about, I think the yep. first time we ever met when I came into your yeah. office, uh, JPEG, you can, you get on a prisoner's list as a verified uh, you know, visitor or whatever that is. right? That you can you can send email or you can uh, send mail, so they could be on the list of you know people that you can mail, right? I don't know how she got on this list, but now I'm looking at it, it says two of 25. So did she share 25 messages with him? First of all, probably. And he is okay. So I'm just going to read it, and then we're just going to analyze this really fast. So from John Boyle Jr. One twenty-seven, twenty twenty-one at. 1937 p.m. So seven thirty PM Eastern time on the twenty seventh of January of this year. Dear Blank, thank you for your kind and gracious email. Yes, I do know you. Several years ago, Bumper, I call call your bumper, mentioned a girl who was helping him do his scheduling, appointments, business affairs, etc. Referred to her as Jen. So I am presuming that you are the very same Jen. Now her name is not Jen, by the way. Who knows? Who knows what her name is, right? She's a stalker. We don't know. Okay. If so, and if not, I laud you for your caring and loving of bumper. And yes, I will keep our conversations between ourselves, but do not slip up and refer to what I tell you because bumper will spot it immediately and we will be caught. Ha! Exclamation point. NP. Just a few things first. I will use the letters NP to signify New paragraph because these JPEG emails run every line together that we, in prison, send out so they are most likely received a mess on your end. When we do communicate, can you please include, as you did, a return reply? I only earn earn $19 a month, which limits my spending significantly. Soap, toothpaste, medicines, etc. Not being a prison drug dealer slash kitchen thief slash panderer of young boys slash or gambler, I do not have the money to do much except survive minimally. No, this is not a plea for money or anything else. It is just the way it is for me in here. Some fundamentals. I have a loving connection with Collier. (laughs) He is deeply and unconditionally loved by me. And my disappointment with Collier in no way dilutes my love for him. My love is not dependent on his or our behaviors. It is never compromised by anger despite things having gone tragically wrong. I understand trauma from adverse childhood events. I understand quite well that hurt people, they hurt people in return. New paragraph, some history. I met Noreen on April 23rd, 1962 at the hot shop in Abington, Pennsylvania. I was 19 years old an Army ROTC student at Penn State University. Noreen was 17 years old and entering her senior year at Sicilian Academy in Philadelphia. Noreen was with her two classmates, Pam Brady and Ann Sidal. I was with a fellow student noreen and i were together from that day forward until her death at age 44 years until her death
1: until her death let me see until you murdered her right
0: noreen and i were married on june 1st 1968 in the basement of a catholic church in winwood pennsylvania we were poor and did not have the money to, money or the pull to be married in the bean church upstairs as we moved forward in our education and part-time jobs we spent our savings receiving infertility treatments until Collier's birth on February 28th, 1978 at Bryn Mawr Hospital, Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Yes, I was born in Philadelphia guys, suburban Philadelphia. I assisted in his delivery. I took him to the incubator, cleaned him up, checked for, for things like toes and fingers, placed a liquid antibiotic in his eyes, listened to his heart and lungs, wrapped him in a hospital swaddling and presented Collier to his mother. On May 2nd, 1988, my father, Collier's grandfather died in the very same hospital, new paragraph. I'm at a loss for many things to understand with Collier. After he presented his quote unquote documentary at the Renaissance Theater in Mansfield, Ohio in 2016, he outrageously told other attendees. Now, by the way, this was not 2016. I I made the documentary the end of 2016, uh, came out in 2018. So this was in 2018. He outrageously told other attendees that, quote, if he, me, ever gets out of prison, I'll kill him, me, myself. Unfortunately for Collier, he was recorded, and a prison guard brought that in so I could hear it myself. I listened to it for almost 20 minutes, attempting to hear his voice, and not some, fa- some other fake stuff, and remained thoroughly convinced to this day that was his voice saying the above words about me to others. New Paragraph. I have a series of emails from April 2020 to September 2020 from Collier being concerned about me, sending me photos, his house with the pool, uh, his, uh, his outside gym he constructed, his motorbike, my COVID escape vehicle. In his last email to me on September 18th, 2020, he included pictures of him on a fishing trip with a slew of his friends. After your email, I wondered if you were the girl to his immediate right. He spoke of his move to Santa Monica a couple of months ago, less than a mile from the ocean. Amazing surfing, running, swimming, loving life. Work is great. Making movies and moves. Oh, and, and all his tattoos too. all his emails said, I love you. XO, I will gladly send them to you, (laughs) to you to see for yourself. What I call conflicting behavior. Incidentally, in my reply to his September 18th, 2020 email, I asked him to write a support letter to the Ohio parole board for my release. I have not heard from Collier since that day. New paragraph. You are probably aware that Collier produced a videogram to the PB contesting my release. In his quote slickness, he told George and Susan, my adoptive parents, who told a bunch of other people, who told me so much for the false concerns for me, etc. Of his prior emails, his disguising of his hatred for me, his bloodlust of a vendetta for me, and his out-and-out manipulations of everyone in his sphere. Watch out, baby girl. I find his quote trauma to be self-serving for Collier. Everyone knows he has voiced his inclination to produce another follow-up quote documentary new paragraph. Again, I admire you for taking this bold step by contacting me, but I caution you to be conscious of where you place your heart and love with him. So at this point in time, I view Collier as self-serving, manipulative, untrustworthy, and someone who wants to kill me if he gets the chance. New paragraph. Truth, eh? Well, I'm not Jack Nicholson or Tom Cruise and a few good men, but Collier's quote truth seems to be relative to his seems to be relative to his expedient wants, not needs of a damaged psyche. New paragraph. I have been blessed to have been certified in grief recovery since 2011. I use my training and experiences daily in this horrific environment. I am currently teaching grief and loss across the lifespan by Judith L. M. McCoy and Carolyn Amber Walter. I recommend this book for you to read and become more acquainted with this topic. An excellent text. New paragraph. Oops, running out of space. Love and prayers. Always Jack. Oh boy.
1: So wait a minute. Now he's saying that he, that you think that he wants to kill you?
0: No. He thinks... He says that I said that I would kill my father if he got out of prison.
1: Mm, have you ever said that? No. Not exactly.
0: Now, you you know, we are very creative with, you know, when we edit together people's things. I think somebody might have edited something together that said that. But uh, I don't feel that way, first of all. And yeah. I don't... Uh,
1: I know. And you've never said anything like that, so...
0: And I've never said anything like that. So... Anyways, uh, this is a crazy dialogue and a crazy can of worms that this person who I think has certain mental challenges. Yeah.
1: I think she has a lot of mental talent.
0: Uh, I think this is really crazy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she opened up a can of worms and I wanted to caution her. Like, why, like, why would you do this? Uh, did you, I mean this, cause this to me is like the ultimate, like this is like punching below the belt. Like, why would you contact my father? First of all, and and, but let's go back a little bit in this letter because i forgot about all this my father feels that i am using my personal trauma of what happened to me of him murdering my mother for my own personal gain and for me doing a documentary about this is that correct
1: yes that's what he said
0: okay so i only i made that film because i wanted to honor my mother i wanted to help heal myself and i wanted to maybe impact the life of one other person. And by the grace of God, it has impacted tens of thousands of people, which is amazing to be able to do as a filmmaker, to be able to do as a human, it's a blessing. I am very fortunate that the film had the impact it did on people. So I'm very grateful of that. Now, if I want to do something like that, what right does my father have to tell me that I can't actually make something positive out of it? Now, you know, in our last episode, we talked about my neighbor, having seen the documentary, mm-hmm. just kind of being astonished on why I'm not someone hiding in my bedroom, curled up in a fetal position all day after what happened to me. But is that what my father wanted? I mean, is that, honestly, do you think that could be what he wanted?
1: You know, I think that in his mind, like what he did was not a big deal, that you shouldn't even be traumatized by her death. Because the way that he handled the whole thing, it just, you know, and his attitude now, and the fact that he won't like apologize to you for taking your mother away from you. And he doesn't want to really take responsibility for it. He wants to keep saying it's an accident, you know, oh, this shouldn't be this traumatic on you. He took your mother away from you and made you basically an orphan, and you had to go live with strangers. I'm sorry. How is that not traumatic for you? And why in the heck shouldn't you get the opportunity to do something positive with it for yourself and for others?
0: Exactly. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, he, and he, and he says in this letter, yeah, and, and I did correspond with him that year. I hadn't spoken to him since the documentary, since I walked out of the room and when I would travel around with the film, I'd be like have you spoken to your father, I'm like, no, I haven't. I reached out to him because his prison during COVID was the first prison that made national news where the entire, like all the prison guards got sick. They all were taken to the hospital and the national guard came in and took over the prison per order of the governor. And my father ended up getting COVID and I just was checking on him like what's going on because at the end of the day, he's my father. Right. And I wanted to make sure he was okay. And You know, I'm sure some people are like, why he's a bastard? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, but he's still my father and I wanted to just check in because I'm that type of human and then, you know, and then we had some correspondence and I was happy to talk to him and, you know, Hey, this is what's going on with my life. Now, I don't remember him asking me about, uh, you know, uh, about this parole letter. Maybe he did. I don't know. I haven't checked that email account in a while because I was like done talking to him because I was like, okay, I've had enough. Because he sent back these messages, which I guess I'll read, you know, uh, on camera and on the, the podcast, but you anyway, know, he sent these correspondence back and it was like the same old, like it just, you know, and I'm like, okay, this is too much. I don't need to deal with this anymore. I've already, I've already moved past this ops aspect of my life. So inviting more crazy in, it was not right. something I wanted to do, uh, but. I didn't make a videogram or anything for the parole board or do any of the things he said. I don't know about the "I would kill him" thing. I, <laughs> I think everybody was more concerned about what he got out, when he harmed me? It's as, as Dave Nesbitt said in the episode before, and as I talked to him about before.
1: Does he even think that he has harmed you?
0: I don't know. I mean, this is it's interesting to see this take on. I mean, this is this is like three months, not even three months ago that he wrote this.
1: And it's like, never, I feel horrible for what I did to affect Collier's life negatively. Not once have I ever heard that out of his mouth, not in, not in the documentary, not in these letters with him running on to strangers about things. Not once does he take responsibility and act like he did anything wrong. He is acting like he's the victim in all of this.
0: Yes. And that's the sociopathy aspect, I believe, or the psychopathy, ugh, psychopathy aspect of it, or, or just the narcissism or whatever it is. It's the complete denial of the the destruction that someone has caused to another human being, let alone their son, right? <laughs> their offspring.
1: I'm sorry. I wasn't there for you to raise you and took your mother away and you had nobody to raise you and... You know alienated the rest of her family because of all the other awful crap I did and and now you're being raised by strangers and I'm not even thanking them for what they've done or exactly. you know or anybody else that was actually there for you but but good God you need to rush right down and talk to the parole board and get me out of prison
0: well something that a lot of people don't know we will talk we're going to do episodes about the making of Murder in Mansfield for sure because it's fascinating. It's probably way better. Than, for me, it's way better than the movie. <laughs> like the whole, I wish I was filming a documentary about making the documentary because that was way more interesting to the me than the actual, the I mean, no, the documentary is fantastic. And everyone did a fantastic job. I've just, you know, it, it was like playing the record on repeat 150 bajillion times because I'd already seen all this. I've seen that. I'd seen that movie before. Right. To me, the interesting thing was like how it got made because getting anything made in Hollywood is always like
1: huge challenge, a a
0: crapshoot, a lotto ticket, a whatever. It just is. But all the other obstacles that we had to deal with because you're dealing with the prison system and uh, all this just craziness. It was, it was really bizarre. So my father's take is, well, it's kind of interesting. That's for sure.
1: I just don't get it. I'm like, dude, seriously, grow up, hair, and you know, admit to what you did. And you've been in prison for what thirty-three years, give or take. You know, at this point, everybody thinks you did it. So, just take ownership of it. You know,
0: it's staggering.
1: It is staggering.
0: And this letter, you know, this was written what thirty-one years later. Right, it shows that he's hasn't changed
1: a, a bit. bit nope not at all
0: it's bonkers it is well
1: uh you know I was thinking
0: yeah go ahead
1: the more I think about what you said about how this woman came into your life and the different things that she said and how things aren't true it kind of makes me wonder like you said about the catfish what if she isn't real or she's somebody else or some sort of plant and what if that dumb bastard had something to do with her and you know contacting you because why all of a sudden is she reaching out to him and talking to him in prison and they're having this great back and forth and this conversation and it's very interestingly I don't know the way that it's put together and how he's speaking to her and are you this person from this picture and You know, that type of thing. I don't know. Something just smells fishy. I think we should do some research and find out who she really is.
0: I wonder. That is a really good point. And really, you know, I was, you know, already creeped out, but now I'm like doubly creeped out. So thanks for that, Brenda. Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) Glad I could help. (laughs) Well, here's even creepier. So my parents, you know, I tell my parents about this, right? And they send me like, I don't know. It was like a month and a half ago or something.
1: They sent you something creepy. Let's see if
0: I can find it here. Oh, <laughs> here we go. Okay. Thanks, it's cool. So then on top of it. So, okay. So after I've told my parents about this, this weird letter, they get this message from her on Facebook and they haven't talked to her in forever. Right. And I don't right. remember exactly when the date of this was. So <laughs> she sent this message to my parents after so I didn't respond to her email that she sent me because I was just disgusted by it. Cause I was like, okay, this is a new low for everyone. Um, but she writes, she goes, I hope this finds you. Well, Collier's biological father has contacted me and sent me some very uncomfortable letters, especially with his ongoing relationship with Collier. There is only one way he would have access to know where to contact me. I have not talked to Collier in what seems like forever, but I've been in the hospital most of the year and now on palliative care at home. Could you please ask Collier to give me a call? I've contacted the prison, but these were concerning letters. And I think it would be best that Collier at least know about them. Thank you. Now, mind you, this was about two months, at least two months after she sent me the email telling me about the letters. Oh, I'm sorry. This was Sunday. She sent it on Sunday, March 21st, or that's when my mom sent it to me. So I don't Mm -hmm. know when it was exactly, but she said that she got it that day. So, so yeah, not even a month ago, she said this to my parents feigning concern saying, "Oh, I haven't spoken to Collier, but you know, his father has reached out to me, but he would only have one way to contact me." Well, I, I guess what she was insinuating is that I have somehow been in contact with her father and given her contact information to my father. That or he's somehow hacked my deleted messages hmm. from I mean, just the level of insanity. So, yeah, I think we should do a little investigation and try to figure out who this person is in real life, but I don't know if that's I mean, it's just, th- this whole thing just goes down a rabbit hole. It's just.
1: It kind of does, but it could be kind of fun to find out and see who this is and if it's just a crazy fan or.
0: I mean, I guess fun for you, but for me, I don't even know what to do about this. This is just, this is like my life. Well, you know? how
1: about I do the research and I'll report back to you?
0: That sounds like a great idea. Those interns that you have that are so amazing, they should get to it.
1: They would probably be like, let's do it.
0: <laughs> you guys are hilarious. I know. All right. Well, I'm Collier Landry.
1: And I'm Brenda Fisher.
0: And this is Movie Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film, A Murder in Mansfield, is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit MPMPodcast.com to show your support today.